If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's <Right. laughs> Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grammar Eric Show. We are going to be chatting to Reaction Recovery a little bit later. Uh, I missed this one, so I missed the chat with Mr. Simone. Jeff, yeah, Jeff Simone. But, uh, you know, Graham will kind of fill me in, and I'll listen to it like you guys when I when I edit this together. After we record this intro, I'll, I'll listen to what he had to say. But we got everybody's favorite podcaster, Graham, I can finally legally go stateside Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. As of tonight. Big day. It is? Big day, yeah. Today. As of today. Is that official yeah. for land crossing? I, I don't well? know. I, th- I thought it was, but, you know, I kind of just stopped paying attention to all the hoopla because most of it was about the southern border, of course, because there's going to be a wave apparently coming across that. Oh, right. It does. Yeah, that's right. So, but Biden, I think, uh, saved the day and has done what he said he would never do. What's that? I don't know. He did some Trump shit. Oh. He's blocking and deporting. Anyways, yeah. I don't know a bunch about it, you know, just what I've seen on Instagram. Yeah, I'm sure there's some pressure all over the political spectrum right now. So, let's not get into politics, Okay. But 15 year, this, this episode was kind of, it was, it's been in the can for a while, but it was recorded shortly after my 15 year anniversary. So I thought we should do a, you know, a, we've been trying to get into an addiction one. So that's kind of appropriate. And I think we should do more. This one, this one was great, but it didn't, we didn't get into too much depth, depth about um, harm reduction and, and some of the stuff that I'd like to talk about with somebody else as well. So. And we can do that another time. And the legalization aspect. I mean, there's a lot happening in the addiction community right now. Canada's uh, Vancouver and BC are in the headlines quite a bit. We could get some Coke for CAC. Get some Coke for CAC. Like legal. I know. I know. I posted the picture of the sign outside the store and I kicked it off Instagram and Facebook. Really? Mm -hmm. Because it had all the prices. And I'm still not allowed on Facebook marketplace and i'm not allowed to participate in groups which is annoying because i've been trying to join the the cold plunge building group because i've been building a cold plunge tank and i couldn't join the group because my group activity is restricted so why why is it restricted because i'm an extremist no i think (laughs) it's because now they think i'm selling drugs because I posted a sign with a bunch of prices. Because this actual sign outside sign. the Vancouver store, I don't have it on me right now. No, no, I know. I've seen it, yeah. But it's like uh, cocaine, methamphetamine, crack, 
And one other thing. No, there's more than one other thing, I think. There's like there's MDMA, MDMA is on there. MDMA. Yeah. So it's like, which was funny because I swear, was it you and I? Me and somebody were just having this conversation. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, man. I'm telling you, they're selling this shit in the stores. And I was looking for a link at the time and I couldn't find it. It wasn't you, was it? Well, yeah, no, because I was pushing the that they were selling it in the stores too. Like, not that I was pushing it, but you know, yeah, I was, I was talking about that. with someone. I was like, I'm telling you, you can, I can go yeah. buy cocaine in BC yeah. right now. Yeah. I can go buy it. Well, and then there was a big thing about this portable guy. He he's got a portable drug store, and he got arrested right away. He put it out on the street and got arrested right away. So I don't know like why the 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 brick and mortar guy can have his and the portable guy, portable guy can't do his. Like, is there some, did he not jump through enough hoops to get registered or something? Like, I don't know how it works in BC. I don't know either, but I think it's good that it's getting decriminalized at least. I don't think it's good that it's getting sold in shops. Well, alcohol well, at least is. it won't have fentanyl in it. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's- alcohol is. It's a I, form of hard harm reduction, I guess. It's a controversial thing. I'd like to talk about it. Let's. Well, here's the thing. I'm fine with that because it's expensive, and they probably will have some rules that they can't sell to fucking junkies. You know what? Like it'll be like an alcohol. I'm responsible for you if I fucking sell you booze and let you hop in your car. If I technically in Alberta, remember when we were in fucking UK, what the rule is in the pubs? The law. It's illegal to let someone get drunk. It's illegal to... So, I mean, in Canada, it gets so crazy that if you leave my house party and fucking crash your car, they could sue me. Right. But the bar establishments especially. So, I mean, I'd imagine if someone's going in there whacked out and then you sell them some more heroin. Heroin was on that. That was the other one. And uh, they OD. Are you then responsible for them? I mean, the... The weed's easy because no one's ODing, but no, you know, what happens then? Maybe it'll be better. Maybe it would be better. But the problem that I have with the weed is it made uh, cheap, shitty, who knows, came from where, but there's like weed everywhere now, every fucking where, and it's cheap as shit, right? I, I buy ounces for 40 bucks an ounce now. Good weed. Fucking 40 bucks an ounce? Pound. Wow, I think that was an eighth. That's what we used to pay for an eighth. You could still go to the shop and pay that. This is what I'm saying. You could still go to the shop and pay that. So when I can get cocaine at every corner store and heroin at every corner store and blah, 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 then all these other motherfuckers are going to start mass producing or whatever because it's just going to be... If it could, Maybe it won't because it's hard. You can't grow it. Maybe that's the wild card is you could grow the weed. I don't know, but that's a good point. I mean, I, I can't even imagine like hard drugs being on every corner like that because really it's, it's fucking addicting, right? Like it's like be I, part of the reason why I to went me, to the bottom is because I got it. So cocaine, I got it. Super addictive. Yeah. And you can OD on that kind of shit. Like I guess you could OD on alcohol, but you'd have to drink a lot of it. I don't know. I guess I'm a freedom guy too, though. So what am I to say? Well, I mean, I know Portugal puts a Probably lot into the government heavy involved in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as long as I, I think if a lot of money gets put into programs and education and, and all that, but I, I don't know. It's it's such yeah, a fascinating thing. I weed in a Ziploc bag and now I have this, you know. A container? Well, what's, what does that mean? A container for 3.5 grams and 
Well, just the packaging on the weed is outrageous, dude. I mean, it's fucking whack. Have you heard that meme that uh, in Vancouver you can buy the Coke, but you, the straw's illegal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was old. That was a long time ago. That was before the sign came out. I mean, I know that's not going to happen in Alberta. I can't see it happening, but that's what I'm saying. It's not just decriminalized. They're selling that shit. Yeah. So as long as they're good on the carding and, you know, it's fine, whatever. But people, you could easily get addicted to crack. I mean, meth? Why? Why? <laughs> I guess why? You know? Yeah. Crack and meth? I mean, is there a... What do you mean? What do you, I don't understand what you're saying. That meth is good. good thing that, that, that's not the argument. I mean, the, nobody's saying any of that is good. They're just saying that. Well, here's the problem with the argument is now that person can sell meth. So what's up? What's the, where's the legal boundary on selling meth now? How the fuck are we locking other people up for selling meth? I don't understand what you mean. Who can sell meth well, it's now? It's still legal to sell cocaine. That store in Vancouver. What, and, and what, and what, so what? But I can't sell cocaine. Well, because you're not in BC. Well, if I'm in BC, I can't sell cocaine. Here's the weird part. Bonnie Henry still wants to fucking clamp down on the jabs. I mean, she still wants the government workers to be all jabbed. I mean, like... You still on have one... to be jabbed. I can't go to the job site in BC. Oh, it's so crazy, man. On one hand, they're just freedom. Like, oh, yeah, just do whatever drugs you want. Come to the store and grab them. On the other hand, you don't come into this hospital unless you're jabbed. What if, weird. One person should be able to see. The thing is, everyone can sell weed. If I want to sell weed, I could. It might not be legal, but I could just go. It's easy for me to do. Um, and I wouldn't get like a life sentence, you know? I would just get. I well, now you can too. You can just go in every day, buy your amount from that store, and then go or sell if it. Somewhere. I want to buy a fucking kilo of fucking crack cocaine from the Hells Angels and start selling it on the street in BC for 20% less than the shop. And I get caught. What's going to happen to me? Because I don't have the overhead of the shop. Well, no, that, yeah, yeah. But if I get caught, men with guns are going to throw me in a cage. Yeah. So I guess that's sort of my problem with it, is that it's going to get fucking monopolized by some fucking corporations which is going to make a crazy gray market which is going to and it's not it's going to be everywhere now instead of just sort of in the corners which it's already coming out of i get it it's already all over the place but i think it'll be more all over the place and the gray market will be flooded with more fentanyl laced shit for half the price because it's easier to get a, easier to move around yeah that's right now we order the price in the street as it is in the store yeah. At a minimum. And that's if you're buying like that's an ounce to an ounce. Yeah. If you start buying pounds, man, it's like ten to one. And I can't buy an ounce at the store. So there's that. I tried again the other day, they wouldn't do it. I just wanted to buy an ounce of the one thing and like uh an eighth of the other. And they're like, Yeah. Ounce a day, bud. <laughs> Or no, he's like, yeah, I could go put it in my car and go back in. Oh, okay. You had to do like an ounce per like, transaction? Okay. No problem. Like you, But then he made me actually go outside the store and come back in. I yeah, there was, was a sign. Like, that was the register. But then he's like, mm, and I had to like walk out and walk back in. 
There was something on that sign about that, like one per customer per day or per visit or something. Like they're pretty strict about the minimum amounts or the maximum amounts you can buy. Anyway. So anyways, I, I got it. Hey, I don't know what to say about selling crack on the corner. I guess it's fine. You well, know, what we got to do is just have, we do got to do a show about it. We got to talk to somebody about it. Yeah. We should mention you wanted to, it's our 600th episode. So this is Yeah. Congrats. Show, you know exactly where you stand. 600. 600. More exciting than that. Uh, we're like two or three weeks away from our 10-year anniversary. So we are going to have to push this one, guys. I mean, we don't really ever push you guys that hard to donate. We ask you to, but 10 years is a big deal. I think uh, that warrants all of even the regulars to maybe step us in. Let's do a little drive for 10 like the No Agenda guys do and stuff like that sometimes. I mean, we're just barely scraping by over here. Let's give us a little 10-year pat on the back, so we'll start pumping that for the next two weeks. June 1st, of course, the 10-year anniversary, 10 years of the Grimerica show. What is that worth to you? Grimerica.ca slash support. Sign up today for monthly. If you're still not signed up for anything, sign up for a buck a month, two bucks a month, 50 bucks a month. Send us a one-time donation for our 10-year anniversary. And, uh, yeah, we would love that. It would make us feel great. Like, it was worth it. It was worth it, though. We met a bunch of great people, had a bunch of good times. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. Totally worth it. That's the best part is all the people we got to meet and talk to. That's weird looking back on my sobriety, 15 years sobriety, but uh, five of that only was before the show. Two-thirds of my sobriety has been after the podcast. It's weird looking at it that way. I'm, I I just had a bong here, like. While you were talking about your sobriety. Yeah, good, good. So I got to give a shout out to some people, some musicians. There's a fantastic album. It, it's a, I think he's a listener of the show and he's been sending me these samples of his music and their album just came out. I've got it on my Apple Music right now. And uh, it's got a fantastic cover. It's called They Ride. And it's, it's, like, a, it's like a rock. Um, I think it's a, a thematic album. There's interludes between each sort of rock song. And it's kind of like got the zombie apocalypse feel with Alex Jones kind of in the background. And it's from I-R-O-H. I don't know how you'd pronounce that. Iro, 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 And the album is there. I'm going to play a little sample for you, okay? So this is part of the interlude, and it kind of flips back, back and forth through radio stations. It's almost like somebody's listening to the radio through like a pandemic or a zombie apocalypse. And then the music is super cool. It's like... Heavy, almost like it would remind me of almost like 90s, kind of like Incubus 311 um, was the other one I was thinking of. Filter, almost, almost kind of like that kind of groove. Can you, you hear it? are not here by accident. God could have chosen anyone to be alive, but it's you who sit in front of me, listening to the word of God, listening to his commands. And what he commands is a great reset. The more I learn, the less I seem to know. You want to have a fader for that? Yeah, I do. If you can hear my voice, the best time to move is during the daylight. These uh these things they 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 come out at night, almost like they're hunting, but they can't stand the light. Remember that. Just remember, 
there's still some good out there. If you're listening, head east. You'll find your answers. Some backup. Pretty cool. Just wanted to play a little tad of it. There's, there's a song that this song is called In Exile. The next one is The Seed Man. So it's it's very thematic. Great for our listeners. Check it out. Tell them, tell them you sent, we sent them. We sent you. Where'd you get that again? It's in Apple Music. It's called They Ride. That's the album. And it was from a listener of ours. Right on. There you have it. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to to play that because you know sometimes you don't have time to check these things out, but I was checking, I was like, oh man, this has got a really cool vibe. Totally. So you're getting ready to head down to Washington. Are you excited? Go see Randall and the bros. Yeah, I'm excited to see everybody. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Host another event. Yeah. I gotta yeah. Go see everyone. Speaking of Randall and the Younger Dryas, I got a quiz for you. Since you put me through a quiz a couple of weeks ago, I thought I'd put you through one. Okay. You want to do it? Yeah, man. Let's do it. This is from the CO2 Coalition. Mind you, I've been trying to get somebody from, from this organization on the show as well. And it's a climate quiz. And and the, the, three, uh, the three options for your answers are agree, disagree, or unsure. Antarctica is warming and melting. Disagree. Okay. Most of Antarctica has cooled over the last 40 years. Agree. So, no, that's like, that was the answer. Uh, You were right. That was the answer. Next question. Antarctic sea ice is shrinking. Disagree. NASA says that the sea ice extents are increasing slightly. So good, good job. Got that one. And it goes into like more detail of the answers here. Hurricane numbers are increasing. Disagree. Yeah. There has been no increase in the number of hurricanes globally. Next question. I mean, they say globally. I wonder if there has been in the States. More hurricanes are making landfall in the U.S. Disagree. Okay. There has been a decrease in landfall hurricanes in the U.S. So a good one. You got it right. Next question. Extreme weather-related deaths are increasing. No way. Way down. Yeah, there's been a significant decline in deaths linked to extreme weather. Next question. More people die from hot weather than cold weather. False. (laughs) Many more people die from cold than from heat. A lot more. Next question. Droughts are increasing. My stupid Snoop Dogg Martha Stewart lighter I fucking bought as a piece of shit. Uh, what was the question? Sorry. Droughts are increasing. False. Droughts are declining. And it's got a graph there. Strong tornadoes are increasing. 
False. According to NOAA, the most violent tornadoes are in a 70-year decline. Well, I should be a weatherman. Islands in the Pacific are shrinking in size due to sea level rise. Same size, motherfuckers. <laughs> Many coral islands in the Pacific are growing. <laughs> I didn't know that. You got Next me. question. Increasing CO2 has been driving warming for thousands of years. False. CO2 increased while temperature fell over the last 8,000 years. So far, you're at 100%. It is warmer today than most of the last 65 million years. True. For nearly 65 million years, Earth has been warmer than today. So you got that wrong. What? I got it wrong. I think so. CO2 levels today are near the high level of geological history. No, low level. Recent CO2 levels are lower than nearly all of Earth's history. Next question. 600 million years of data show that CO2 is an important driver of the climate. No. CO2 has not been the primary driver of temperature through time. U.S. air quality is becoming less and less healthy. False. Air pollutants are declining in the U.S., so you are correct. Global crop production is in decline due to climate change. No, we're making more food than ever. Crop growth is being fueled by modest warming and more CO2. That's it. There you have it. You did, so I, I think you got 100%. I got one wrong, didn't I? Well, I, I don't know. I think so. I'll go back there and see. I feel like I might have got one wrong. Yeah, you got the 65 million year one wrong. About it being warm. It's been warmer in the past than now. Oh, well, I tried my best, motherfucker. <laughs> so, I mean, I've been, uh, I had a, a bunch of mini synchros to t talk to you about, but I'm, I'm a little scared to, to, it's a, I'm, well, let's save it anyway. I mean, we're slammed getting ready for your trip or pre recording. As always, we pre record all this stuff so that you guys don't miss a beat. You don't know that we left. Never missed a week, I don't think. In yeah. uh, almost 10 years of podcast, we probably missed one or two, but not really. Stream roll right through Christmas and everything. So, and when you get back, we'll be like a week away from our 10 year show. So, we'll figure something out that we can do for that that's fun. Maybe you guys can spam Graham and let us know what you think might be fun. Should we do a call in? I mean, Graham hates that shit. It does usually just turn into a fucking train wreck. But you guys tell us what, what should we do for our 10 year anniversary? It's coming up at the end of the month. Support us, grammarica.ca slash support. Get on trip, contact at thecabin.com. Listen to Grammarica Outlaw, grammaricaoutlaw.ca. Uh, but most of all, enjoy the chat. Do you have hey, a bio for Jeff Simone? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I'll get it right now. But I also want to mention we were on uh, Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. I'll put a couple links in the show notes. There's a 
Well, yeah, that YouTube came out video. now, right? Yeah, there's a YouTube video and something else. So big shout out to Richard Serrett and Strange Planet. And uh, and also we are on Rumble and Rockfin uh, on video now. We're doing video and live streaming as much as possible. So yeah, if you if you see the notification, come see us live. The audio will come out later on. Um, yeah, that would be uh, good to see everybody there since we're trying that again. For pe- feedback from people chat, that maybe that? interact in real time, get your questions in. Well, yeah, yeah, and then uh, also you can see Grand America Outlawed on video on uh, Substack and locals. So check that out as well. We have the full episodes on video there. That's right. So let's hear about Mr. Jeff Simone. Man, yeah, man. he's uh, he's got national certifications in life professional and recovery coaching. He founded Reaction Recovery in 2019. He works one-on-one with individuals who are seeking greater emotional and physical stability on their own recovery journeys. Actually, I really like his philosophy about how he's doing his coaching. Um, his recovery philosophy is based on the bio, bio, psycho, biopsychosocial model that incorporates a thorough understanding of biological mechanisms, psychological underpinnings, and contextual factors that integrate the social determinants of health. He's certified as a drug and abuse and alcohol abuse counselor, recovery specialist, and has expertise in the major substances of misuse and their effort effects on thoughts, behavior, emotions, and physical health. He's coached over 200 clients and families and remains committed to helping others achieve long-term recovery. So there, he can uh, become your health consultant, recovery coach, or can simply provide psychoeducation related to his areas of expertise. There you have it, guys. Enjoy the chat with the one and only Jeff Simone. Jeff Simone, thanks for joining us on Grand America. How are you doing? Good evening, Graham. How are you? I'm doing good, well. good. This well, this is kind of going to be a special episode because we've been talking about doing a recovery episode for a while, and I was reaching out to certain people, and then you know, a few months went by, and I've reached my 15-year milestone, and I thought, well, you'd be a good guy to have on the show. We can talk about what you're up to and and uh, get a little recovery chat in here. So yeah, thanks. I'm kind of excited to to get into this. Yeah, yeah. I love I love talking about this topic. So, anytime. This is what you do, right? This is what I do. So, <laughs> I, could, I could do it all day long, and I do. Yeah. So, do you want to start off? I mean, maybe a little bit about yourself, and I yeah. guess maybe your your story, if you want. Yeah, I can uh, give a little overview of me. I mean, I'll um, yeah, I'm Jeff Simone. I you know, some of you guys might know me from from social media. I mean, I'm most active on on Instagram. 
um, you know, I try to show off to other platforms where I can, but you know, I have a, I have a wife and I have two little kids and, and they get the lion's share of my time and attention. Um, and it's tough to be everywhere all at once, you know, but I certainly do try my best. Um, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a father and a husband in long-term recovery. <clears throat> you know, like when somebody asks, like when somebody asks like this, you know, like, who are you kind of thing, right? It's like, that's the, that's the first, that's the first part of my answer. Um, I used to define myself entirely by my career. Right. And, um, and now I only partially define myself by my career. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm recovering from, from a 12 year opiate and amphetamine addiction, um, among other things. Uh, and I've been fully abstinent, um, from all mood altering drugs and psychoactive drugs with the exception of caffeine since uh, 2016. Nice. Um, and I'm grateful for that. And you know, congrats again on, on your 15 years and, uh, huge accomplishments. And, um, on any given day, you know, I do feel recovered recover at past tense from just from that obsession, you know, so we say that we're in recovery, but, but in terms of like recovered from that obsession of drug addiction, that obsession that just ran my entire life, really that my entire twenties, I didn't draw a sober breath. I didn't draw a sober, there was not a full 24 hour sober period in my twenties. So, uh, like whatever you want to call that condition, <laughs> I feel on any given day, right. You don't have to treat it every day, but I feel recovered from that, from, from like whatever was happening um, during those years. Um, by by formal training, I'm a doctor of a clinical pharmacy uh, with a focus in psychiatric pharmaceuticals and dietary supplementation. Um, I am state credentialed as a peer recovery specialist. I'm formally trained as a substance abuse counselor, um, and I'm nationally certified as a professional recovery coach. So and those are my uh, those are my pieces of paper for for yeah. those of you that that. <laughs> care about that that sort of thing people like in our field you know sometimes don't but i uh, uh there are many who do so I, I will usually throw that out before i start digging into like my own stuff yeah yeah um, so did you did you go to school for like your you know your your doctor part during your addiction and stuff like how did how did that sort of fit into your you know your because you're a lot of your your issue was around uh opiates i guess right so so i did yeah um well, that part, the you know, pharmacy, uh, dietary supplementation, pharmaceuticals, all that was, uh, yeah, I was intoxicated the entire time. That was that was my twenties. You know, I spent I spent wow. my twenties doing that, and um, it's amazing what we can get done. Yeah, I mean, I, and I work with people now. It's a, it's the same thing. I mean, you see like the entire spectrum of it, and it's like uh, you can. I, I mean, if it's if if we are focused on one thing specifically, and it's like sometimes this addiction, as long as it doesn't get disrupted, I think it's like Keith Richards has that quote where he says, where someone says like, "Do you have a drug problem?" And he said, "Like I used to have a drug problem, but now I'm, um, I used to have a drug problem, but now I make enough money." That's what he said. So, <laughs> like his point was like the problem was when you don't have any money, and then all the things that happen. Now that's I mean that's that's partially true, and you know, that can certainly speed things up uh, quicker. But but I guess my point is. A lot of folks, uh, especially before the, the fentanyl wave, you know, now, now I couldn't have lived the life that I lived then now uh, with, with, you know, with the poisonings that's going on right now. But a lot of folks, especially with opiates, I mean, it can just, that tolerance can grow slowly over long periods of time. And, and if there's no reason to ever run out, right, or, or if, that, if that period of, oh, crap, I can't get any, just doesn't happen, which is a very rare situation, right? It's like not many people are 
situated like that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I was any better or worse. It was just, I was in a field where I had full access to all that stuff. Yeah. So there was never a time that I was off. And, and, and the, so I just slowly brought that dose up. Right. And, you know, you know, so eventually I was taking like over a thousand milligrams of oxycodone and that was a very slow, gradual process. You know, it was, this is back in the Oxycontin days. I remember when I, I remember when I f- was first taking 180 per day. That was a big deal. I, I can I can remember that vividly, just thinking like, oh fuck, 80, you know, 180, because it was fifty dollars back then too. This is this is like a little bit before I got into pharmacy. So you know, like when I was still buying from a dealer at that point, that's a lot of money. When you you know when you're like a 20, 21 year old and you're paying, you know, paying that kind of money for a habit and realizing that you're chemically dependent. Um, yeah, I mean, I can, can, you know, get into some of that. Um, uh, now, you know, I work in the recovery space. Um, uh, so both in, I'm not in pharmacy. I, you know, I left pharmacy completely. Um, <clears throat> I work in product development. Okay. So I help like design and implement digital and, and, um, automated products, uh, to expand access to care, to improve health health outcomes, um, and then I also run Reaction Recovery, okay, which is I think where you found me and uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. coming across on on social media, yeah, uh, which is a you know one to one counseling and health coaching program for for people in active addiction um, or in early recovery, you know, who just want to live uh, want to live meaningful and and purposeful lives and they want to feel better faster and uh, and I and I really really love what I do now. Yeah, thanks for that. It's interesting how the the times and I heard you talk about I'm trying to remember I should have looked up your guest's name but you did you do you have a video on your website and it's a it's a uh, or I don't know if this one is but it's with um the guy that you met in treatment actually. Yeah, oh, shy. Was, oh yeah, he's sorry, awesome. Shy. It's quite an interesting chat and and you guys talked about how the environment plays a quite a role in this or maybe it was on your other show where you talked about this. So like the era that we go through like I got like I hit my bottom in 2008, basically. Okay. Thank God. Thank God. I Like I hit my bottom, <clears throat> yeah. which is another thing we'll get into later on a little bit. But, but, um, that was probably like, you're, you're talking about the oxy that must've been what early two thousands, that sort of stretch of when oxy was before fentanyl, but kind of where oxy oxy was going crazy. So I took my first oxy content i mean viking and percocet that was probably like yeah 2000 2001 maybe 2001 2002 and i didn't get into oxy content until probably 2003 to 2004 yeah, yeah. um because it got reformulated in 2009 and now, now i could talk we could have a whole episode talking about like purdue pharma and and <laughs> and, and that those are the worst human beings of all time in my in my estimation um, but those guys had the technology to make that product tamper resistant um, back then, right? But they didn't. And then once that was running off of patent, then they reformulated it. So all those OCs went to OPs and you couldn't actually crush it the same way. It turned into that wax. You couldn't dissolve it. You couldn't inject it. So, Oh, is that uh, what tamper resistant means then is you can't, you can't f- put it in another form kind of? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So everybody was just like licking off the coating. You would, you know, crush it up. And of course you just have this mound of 80 milligrams of oxycodone powder, you know, which is way better than if you have a five milligram Percocet, which a lot of people used to crush those things up, right? But it's 99% Tylenol if, if it's Percocet. So you're breaking up this huge mound of powder and 99% of what you're snorting up your nose is Tylenol. acetaminophen. Oh my God. <laughs> so yeah. Who wants to do that? 
Um, now, a lot of people do do it at first and then it starts to burn and then your nose gets all screwed up and, and then people just move on to, to, to something else. Or at least that's what was happening in the early 2000s. It's, it's a little bit different now. Um, but yeah, I mean, once that, once that got reformulated in, in, in uh, 2009, that is when heroin took off. I remember, you know, cause I was even just writing some articles back then and, um, um, I was intoxicated, obviously. I mean, you know, I wasn't, I was, I was using that entire time, but, but I used to study this kind of stuff. Uh, and I remember seeing like reports where, you know, they were showing that the use of like pharmaceuticals, you know, like fell off after that period. And always articles about, Oh, you know, the opiate problem is over. Uh, look, look at our graphs. Everybody, you know, it was kind of taken off in the two thousands. And then since Oxycontin, it's been going down like this. And I remember even then, so I had not done heroin at this at this point. But I remember then thinking like, I'm pretty sure everybody's just using heroin now. <laughs> and it was pretty, like, it was pretty obvious to me, even though I hadn't gone that way yet, that like people don't just, it's not like you say, all right, you know, Purdue uh, reformulated. So I may as well quit drugs forever. It's, yeah. you know, unfortunately, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. So um, some people got into the oxy thirties, you know, those, those had their time to shine. You know, they were like 2010 to 2000. 16 they were really popular um that was my like, that was my drug of choice during that time oxy 30s oxy 30s yeah and then what so did fentanyl kind of fill that gap as well at some point or is it a completely different for thing? me personally or, or no for general? i think for society in general uh i mean me personally i just miss fentanyl so, you know, so i I, I literally got sober right before fentanyl exploded, you know, which is right about, it was 2015 in, in the 2016 is when those articles first started coming out. Like, you know, we should look into this, this, our drug supply is tainted with this stuff. Um, but fentanyl, no, I mean, fentanyl is just, it's just cheap. It's, it's cheap. It's easy. And you can just make it in a, in a lab in China or like wherever they make it. Right. So it's, I mean, there's no, you don't have to cultivate the poppy plant and, and, and do all the, you know, Everything that's involved with that, you can just create it just like you're creating anything else in a, in a pharmaceutical lab. So it's right. uh, so easy and so cheap and so easy to get across the, you know, the borders. It's not just our, it's not just the U.S. that, that was having the problem, but this stuff just, just came in droves. And yeah, I mean, it's obviously the problem is, is still going on. You know, I, I don't even really call it like an overdose epidemic because, um, you know, the overdose kind of implies, kind of implies like the accidental in right like in terms of like you know somebody accidentally combined a couple of things and they overdose or or maybe somebody just got out of rehab and they had been detoxed for three weeks and you know now they have no tolerance so they overdose like that kind of stuff happens now just like it used to happen but this is not that i mean this is this is poisoning you know it's the same that as what you call it yeah those are poisonings you know you 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 think you're taking one thing and you're not, you know, you inject what you believe to be, you know, so if you draw that up and it's a half of half ML you know, CC syringe and you inject that just like you've injected, you know, 500 times before. And, and even though the, you know, potency of, of, of street drugs, of course, it's not, you know, there's no, there's no, um, um, uh, you, you know, it's not, it's not being monitored by the FDA. Okay. So that you are getting something just a little bit different, but you're not getting like a different drug typically. Like if you're getting heroin, you know, before this is for all of time, uh, you know, of, of, since the invention of the hypodermic syringe all the way up until 2016, uh, you know, 2015, 16, if you're injecting that, you kind of had an idea of what you were getting. 
maybe it was laced with different things. You know, maybe there was it was cut with some different stuff, but this was the first time that it was a whole different drug. And it was just a it was a it was a game of Russian roulette. You know, it's like nine out of ten times you would get what you expected to get, one out of ten times you'd be, you would get this. And yeah, if you if you got the wrong drug at the wrong time, you just died. Wow. So you kind of predicted the the opioid epidemic would would continue back then. I didn't predict fentanyl, uh, but I right. absolutely predicted the heroin explosion. I mean, that was anybody who 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 was paying attention at all, you know, because I was on the pharmacy bench at that time. I, I mean, it was it was so obvious, like what was happening, just with like holy crap, you know, people are going nuts over this stuff, and um, they get, and I've worked in every cross section of this country, every socioeconomic class. I've worked with every. It's like it did not matter. It did not matter. People reacted the exact same way to this stuff, no matter where you went. You know, they just might have been dressed a little differently in, you know, in certain areas. Um, I knew that this was going to be a gigantic problem. Yeah, I didn't. I certainly didn't predict uh, fentanyl. Fentanyl, but. yeah, yeah. So I kind of missed that whole that whole thing. I mean, when I was hitting my bottom, it was mainly cocaine and alcohol and ecstasy and kind of that that kind of scene. Yeah. You know? But I I know that. I thought a couple times about pills and I thought, you know, you know, what if I couldn't get this or like, what if, uh, cause it just became so easy to get it. You know, it was just like a, a five minute phone number and a five minute, you know, delivery yeah. away. And it was so, so convenient, you know, and then just part partying all the time and, and then partying by myself only basically at the end, yeah. but you know how, you know how it goes, but, but I'm kind of glad, you know, I'm, I'm happy that it happened and I'm happy that, uh, that I, that I hit my bottom and I'm happy that I didn't get into, into the opiates as well. You know, I had a couple, I met a couple of people that, you know, couldn't get clean. They've been in and out of recovery so many times. And, and, uh, for some reason I just felt like it clicked for me when I was in there, I was like, holy shit, I got to get rid of alcohol too. Like mm. I just wanted to get rid of cocaine for a while. And then I was like yeah. something, me and a few guys had this, had this little chat and we all kind of came to the realization like this is this has got to be everything like no weed, no, for me anyways, no weed, no alcohol. Like, and you were in like a rehab when you, yeah. So yeah, I went to rehab. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you went to rehab because of cocaine, obviously, you know? Yeah. Um, and then once you got there, they were like, Hey, alcohol is a drug too. And you should probably stop that. Was that kind of one of those deals? Yeah. It was always, I mean, there was always there, right. Alcohol was always there in the background, but cocaine kind of took me down. I mean, I think that, I would have just been, I would have, it would have taken me another 10 or 20 years to probably get there with alcohol alone, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I agree. I agree. Um, there are some people who just get crushed real quickly with that, but, but you're right. You know, it tends to, alcohol tends to take longer, of course. Uh, and it's uglier, man. I mean, like those, 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 you know, it, like in your forties and fifties, it can really get ugly, you know, with folks and, just, just like a lot of physiological stuff that you might not necessarily see with, uh, you know, say like with heroin, for example. I mean, if like a young person's doing heroin today, and 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 half the time it's fentanyl nowadays, it's like they're gonna they run into all kinds of problems. But, but the problems aren't necessarily like you know their their kidneys or their liver is shutting down. It's gonna be they accidentally overdosed and and someone's gonna Narcan them and should they or shouldn't they be on opiate maintenance you know products? It's gonna the conversation is different uh, with and and also okay and i'm and i'm generalizing here but but the types of problems right if you're talking about like a younger person who gets kind of swept into the maybe stimulants but i'm talking about opiates 
uh, the types of problems that they have in their life, it might be different, right? Than somebody who's been drinking for, for 30 years and now they're 47 and they just got their fourth DUI and, and their wife left and took the kids and they served the divorce papers. And it's like that, that picture, that, that classic picture looks different. And, and um, you know, I remember going, so I was, I was actually court ordered into rehab um, in 2013. This last time, 2016, I, I did not go. Uh, so I've only been there once. Like you, right? You said you've only been there once. Yeah, yeah. That's how I was court order there. Um, it was this was this was 2013. I was living out in Santa Monica, and um, yeah, they were kind of getting a little bit, uh, uh, maybe like new agey with the drug courts, right? Like not everybody was doing that at the time. It was kind of like a new thing, and uh, you know, Kamala Harris was uh, the attorney general out there. I remember, and I don't know. Yeah, they were just doing things like a little differently, and. They did drug court anyway. It was kind of, you know, because I got, I mean, my stuff was, it was, it was serious. And and they're like, basically, you either stay fully abstinent, like in this place and they're testing every day or else you're going to jail. Uh, and I, and I did that. Um, and I came out. Well, okay. So, so first, like when I first went in there and it was, op- so it was, it was Oxycontin, Adderall, Soma, and Xanax. All right. That was my, that was my cocktail. That was my every day every day all day cocktail um you know so i knew i had problems with those things definitely the opiates because that's what i couldn't stop or else i'd get sick i knew adderall kind of had me you know in terms of like like i had to do it every day (laughs) yeah yeah. um you know but it didn't really make me quite as physically sick so it was a little bit easier to justify well i don't need rehab for this but the oxys i did um and then they started talking about alcohol right away and it was the same thing right it was like look I haven't drank in years, which is kind of true because that the alcohol adding that to that comp, that cocktail I just talked about, it just kind of screwed it up. Right. So it's not like I didn't drink because I was, I was, uh, morally opposed to alcohol. It was just that, that, that fifth thing just didn't really mix, you know, mix well, but it goes better with cocaine and ecstasy, you know, in a lot of ways, alcohol, cocaine, (laughs) and ecstasy is a nice combo. You're right. Uh, you just got to find what works for you, I guess is what we're saying here. Uh, so, so they said, you know, no alcohol and yeah, I remember like resisting it kind of like you did, you know, um, and somebody like made like some, ana- uh, so they said like, why aren't you doing that? I said, well, cause I don't have a problem with that. Uh, and they said, well, if you don't have a problem with it, then it shouldn't be hard not doing it, you know, for a little while. <laughs> right. Like, and they kind of gave like the example, you know, somebody said something like some, some big good, I, it was like cheese it's or something. They said like, do you. You, you know, like, are you addicted to, to Cheez-Its? And I was like, uh, no, like, I'm not addicted to Cheez-Its. And he said, well, you know, so if I said to you that, that you know, for you to get over like an opiate addiction, part of it is just that you can't eat Cheez-Its right now. And, and you might not understand why, but you got to just trust me on this one. And then like, if I come out, you know, if I walk by your house tomorrow night and I see you like in the corner sneaking Cheez-Its, well, maybe I would suggest that you do have a problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> something like to that effect and i said okay so so i guess like the idea is that that part of recovery is uh being able to trust that somebody else might know more than you yeah. in this moment about what you should do <laughs> and it's like if this person that knows more than you also suggests some other drug right even if you don't have a problem with it if they say hey look I think you should not do this right now. And then we can at least, you know, just give yourself a chance to sort of separate from everything. Um, and then if you can't do that, 
And I think that's a bigger sign than whether or not you actually had a problem with that particular thing or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. The group, that's why the group thing and, and listening to people with experience in recovery is so powerful. You know, I did, I went to those meetings in early recovery at the place even, and, you know, I heard, heard these old timers talking about it and heard so many people with their kind of relapsing stories to talk about how important abstinence was. And I believe, I believe them. I was like, okay, like this. And I was open enough to like, listen to the advice. That's huge. Yeah, me too. And, and when I talk about that now, I mean, I do, cause that's like the spiritual component for me. And, and I can only talk about it that way. Cause it doesn't make any sense. Like I'm a, I mean, I'm a science guy by design, right? I, I was sort of, you know, educated formally that way. So my mind does go there naturally. Um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, but when I think back about anybody that used to say anything to me, I always had an answer for them, right? Just always, just something, you have some reason that that they were wrong, or at least some reason that maybe this worked for you, but you know, my case is different. You don't really understand. But for this like one moment in time, you know, and and again, like, this had to be something this gift from the universe, right? For this one moment in time, I, I was just like listening to other people and just, and just doing what they said without, without like fighting back or, or giving any of my smart ass answers or just not being me, <laughs> you know, the way that I had been for 30 years, just, just not get out, and get out of your own way, you know? just not being that guy. And it's like, yeah. how do you explain that? Right. I mean, uh, no, I did hit a, hit a, hit a bad bottom and you talked about bottom and you know, and there's a lot of, even like in the social media space and, and, and there's a lot of debate in general about recovery. Uh, but the idea about bottom, you know, is like there will be a question like, do you need to hit bottom? Right. And it's like, can we, well, you know, certainly that we can try to help people. And that's one of the, of the, the, the things I do, by the way, you know, I try to help people like before you necessarily have to do that, but I will say that there are advantages <laughs> to hitting rock bottom. Right. Totally. If you, if you're still alive now, if you, if you die before you get there, that's not an advantage. Okay. So like, we do need to try to bring that up to hit a lot of people, especially today with the poisonings, the game has changed. The stakes are higher. That's absolutely true. You know, in the last 15, you know, 10, 15 years, the game has changed, uh, but it is way, way easier to do this stuff. That's being like requested of you. If you feel like you have no other choice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, if you've hit that place and you needed to surrender, you know, you need to be like, okay, I'm finally going to ask for help. I mean, that's, the, that's my thing. I just want to do it on my own myself. I just wanted to, if I could get my shit together without talking to anybody about it, then I wouldn't have to disclose how fucked up I was. You know, I could kind of get through that whole, that whole facade that I had up for everybody. I mean, I was really good at hiding it. Nobody really knew a couple of mm. people figured it out towards the end, but I hid it from everybody pretty well. Yeah. And I, I just didn't want to ask for help. And then the more I tried, the worse it got. So, but it, it's funny you mentioned about the science and the spiritual part. Cause when I, when I, I didn't know anything about the 12 steps and, and when, when my thing finally came crumbling down and I, I looked at these two rehab places as a choice, I was like, one of them does the steps. What's this about the steps? And I read it and I'm like, those are spiritual. That's pretty cool. Like that's actually, this is a spiritual program. Like there's a spiritual solution to this. And that, that was what really resonated with me. I mean, I'd done meditation classes before I was looking for UFOs. I mean, I had this, like <laughs> this desire for spiritual things and, and, uh, 
But when I was in there listening to everybody, it was like science. It's like, okay, all these people from the past, including the people that wrote the book and all that, and uh, talking about the 12 steps now, because that was the main focus early on. I mean, later on, I went to Buddhist style groups and all kinds of other, other mm. stuff. I helped run some of those, but, but um, it was really like all these people say that like, if you, if you go back to using, and even if you try to control it, you're just going to end up where you were. They all are saying this, like, it's gotta be like, you know, from a, I know it's anecdotal, but from an evidence point, like they're all saying the same thing here. They've gone out and tried it and it doesn't work. So maybe I should pay attention to these guys. <laughs> yeah. Like it isn't that, I mean, that right there is just a miracle too. Cause I, I actually had that same experience uh, you know, of, but I was less into, into that stuff. than it sounds like you were, I mean, I was. You know, I mean, I hadn't seen a church in 15 years. I hadn't seen you know just anything that felt spiritual to me, right? You know, but of course, I spiritual equal equal church. I didn't I didn't know any better at the time. But like when I was first, yeah, reading the steps, you know, because I went to a rehab that most most re rehabs are are 12 step based. They're not all, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, most most are. Um, and I went there and, and they're talking about that stuff, like from the beginning, I mean, from the jump, it was, you know, look, I mean, you are like maybe a hopeless case, maybe not only God can save you kind of thing. And it's like, you kind of feel like that message, or at least I would have thought that that message would have fallen on my scientific ears at that moment and been like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. This is the. This is the best we can do. It's 2013, right? It's not, it's not 1913. It's 2013. The best that we have is that. Um, but that is not <laughs> totally. the response that I had. Right? Totally. It was like, all right, if if let me let, <laughs> let me try. I remember just laying in, you know, laying in bed. This oh god, I was so sick because because so even back then, 2013, that they wanted to give me suboxone, and uh, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, like, I'm not saying that 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 any you know, buprenorphine based products are good or bad. Okay. But, but, but I, I did not want to do it. Um, I, I, I've, I've been on and off Suboxone, not, not, not prescribed, but I always had it. Right. And if I, if I ran out of, if I ran out of my stuff, I wasn't just going to be sick. Right, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was always going to just take that for, for a couple of days until I could get my stuff back. So I was very familiar with the drug. I knew all about the drug. I knew about, you know, transitioning, I knew about move, you know, going back and forth. I knew about detoxing from the drugs. I, you know, one time I was on it for like a, like a month or a month and a half. It was just the way that it worked out. Um, but anyway, so the guy was not doing that. Okay, so I just like detoxed, and they had a meal and just you know like huge amounts of like Ativan for for three or four days, and and I still wasn't sleeping. And I remember just staring up at the they had these like recess lights that that were like flickering. <laughs> You know, so like they never like really shut off. They were just, it would be like a really faint flicker, like in this place. And I remember thinking that like, that was God, <laughs> you know, this is God talking to me and kind of trying to, you know, flick some message at me at three 30 in the morning when I, when I wasn't sleeping. And, um, so th th I remember all those thoughts very clearly of, of just trying like, cause I was so sick and I was so desperate and man, like when you're in, in cold Turkey, opiate detox, it's the world looks so shitty <laughs> and everything looks so bad. And, and then it's like that you can't remember ever having not felt that way. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's, it, it, it's like, 
they, there was never a time when I felt joy or felt any kind of, I mean, any kind of even like average feeling like without drugs anyway, is what like I was, I was thinking, I'm like, I don't, when did I ever feel okay without yeah. drugs? Yeah. <laughs> or was I like 12 maybe? And I, you know, I was, I was having a good time. I was like, maybe I didn't even feel good then. Maybe I never actually felt good until I, I, I took this stuff for the first time. Uh, so anyways, that went on for a long time. Oh my God. You know, and, and that's, that is that like desert time, you know, that I talk about and I talk about it all the time. You know, it's, um, I think everybody goes through this to one extent or another. Um, I have a special heart for the opiate folks, but, but everybody, you know, to one extent or another, and it's this period of time, um, you know, right after we're, we're, we're freed from bondage. You know, that's, that's, that's the like analogy of, of you've been freed from bondage, freed from slavery. And then now you're just dropped into the desert and you, you know, you got to do your 40 years in the desert, right. To get to the promised land. And it's like, those are hard, hard days, weeks, months, years in there. And, you know, because, because at this point, everybody, and, you know, people like in your rooms are still clapping for you, but just the world in general, like you're out of the rehab, you're out of your little bubble. You know, the world is happening I and mean, they're still, you know, they're still trying to collect money for rent. You know, these, you still got to pay your taxes. The car still breaks down. You know, the wife is having this problem. Your girlfriend leaves you, your job, you know, dissolves and you get laid off, right? Like all these life things still happen and you have to somehow survive in this like desert space where things just feels really kind of blah and 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 that's hard for a lot of people yeah um, you know that's that's i mean that's that time that a lot of people fall off i mean you know well, that's is, where your program comes in right to, to help so that's where i try to you know inject myself is is right there right so i think i think we as as a we as a treatment industry in the west have done a good job getting people separated from from these drugs, you know, like over the last maybe 20 years, uh, like the last 20 years, we've kind of like restructured like the approach. And I think that we've done a good job, right? So, you know, that zero to 28 day mark, we're keeping people in inside the little facility and the insurance company pays for it. If you're fortunate enough to have insurance and you stay in there and you're surrounded by people who are all doing the same kinds of things and we're doing okay there. Um, but man, is there a thud Right? Is there a thud that when you go from that in from that like residential type of setting, so that inpatient setting, back outside? Um, and I don't care if you're still doing outpatient treatment. I don't care if you're still doing. It is. It is just the idea of not being there anymore. It's hard. It's really, yeah. really hard. Um, you know, some some folks plug right into like a twelve step fellowship, like you were talking about. Okay. Now I'm a twelve step guy. Okay. Yeah, you know, I, I was, I was, in, like, I was indoctrinated that way. I was taught, you know, that is how recovery was introduced to me. Um, I've made some incredible, you know, friendships in there, and the stuff that you see inside these groups is nothing short of miraculous. Okay, so I think long term, to me, you know, long term, there is nothing that compares to that. Nothing, right? There's nothing that that you feel a part of that is more life saving than what these groups have done. Um, that being said, a lot of people just won't do it right away. Yep. You know, like they just won't. And, 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 and it's, it gets so easy to say, well, 
you know, they just don't want it badly enough. And if they were in enough pain, they would go there. And it's like, yeah, I mean, there's some truth to that. But but you have to have worked in this industry for a long period of time to understand that a lot of people just don't for whatever reason. And I think that that we're too quick to just write them off and just kind of say, well, they're just not willing. They're just not willing. Um, so they need to go out and try it their own way and then maybe they'll come back and, and and again there there is truth to all that stuff but i think that we can provide services that we can do something to try to catch these people right you know to try to catch these people where they're in a spot where you know maybe they just need a little bit of you know a little bit of something right so so i mean i you know i talk about these like pillars of recovery you know things that we need to focus on in, the, in those first couple of years and 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 uh, you know, certainly community is is one of them and, and community for a lot of people in the beginning at least uh, is, is these different, you know, fellowships, these different groups. So it doesn't have to be 12 step. It can be, there's all kinds of stuff. There's online communities now that yeah, seem yeah. to be working well for, for yeah. some people. Um, I mean, yeah. there's the smart recovery. There's the Buddhist, the Buddhist ones, recovery, Dharma, refuge recovery. There's, there's yeah, a bunch. Yeah. yeah. There's all those guys. Um, uh, and again, like, you know, some of these online communities too, I, I, they're not, they're not as well established and, and, and naturally I just, I kind of scoff at that sort of stuff. Right. Um, but again, I, I've talked with enough people now who find some solace in these groups where I don't, cause you know what the other thing is, <laughs> and we could talk about this, this stuff for hours, by the way, there's just, there's just so much meat, you know, to this to these discussions nowadays because it you know it feels like everything is controversial one of the reasons i think that so maybe somebody like you okay or somebody like me you know somebody who who got who got brought into an inpatient rehab setting that you were probably relatively severe you probably had like a severe addiction if you were brought there in the first place right yeah. so if we were scoring you now we have these like substance use disorder uh, um, diagnostic criteria, and if, we're, if I'm scoring you from say zero to eleven or something, and I and I have little markations along the way, so zero to four is mild, you know, five to seven is moderate, and say eight to eleven is severe. If I'm scoring somebody who's in this severe range, a lot of those people do need something very intensive like that, right? And then once you get out, yeah, you better get connected to something quick, all right. Uh, and we see these people, right? Because these are the ones who are kind of more explosive, uh, yeah, just, you know, like life intervenes on these folks. And they're the ones who are usually getting themselves into car accidents and DUIs and, again, walked out of work in handcuffs and just major things are happening with these folks. But then there is all the other people, right, of which you don't really hear about them, all the people who might who might you know, qualify as like mild AUD. So like mild alcohol use disorder. Um, that is a gigantic percentage of the population, by the way, a gigantic percentage. Now they don't want to hear it, you know, or, or they're not going to be dying. They're not, they're not going to have that diagnosis on their formal chart, right? Cause they're probably not even talking about alcohol to their, to anybody who would make that diagnosis in the first place. But if they were taking it, they would fall into that range. Okay. And I think what's been happening recently with, especially with alcohol, but, but, you know, some other drugs too, because there's a lot more denial that is wrapped up in alcohol. You know, it's like, it's kind of hard to be like in denial if you're like a heroin addict, 
you know it's sort of like you're either <laughs> i mean that you're using heroin these you know, these folks know that they're in they're in bad shape they might not want to stop right now but it, you know they're they don't they don't trick themselves into thinking that they're not addicted to heroin um, alcohol is a lot different. There's a lot of people, millions and millions of people who are falling into that, that, uh, mild to moderate range. And nowadays that, that the exposure is kind of going up and, and, and more people are talking about mental health and just this kind of stuff in general. A lot of people do want some type of help, right? That, you know, they want, that they want something. Um, but they're not ready for inpatient. Like, nor do they, I'm not just not ready, nor do they need inpatient. Like, nor would that be like appropriate. That would not be an appropriate level of care. You know, maybe I'll say yet, if they, if they continued, could they progress into more modern that's, and severe? Yeah, that's the problem. It is progressive usually, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, I, but there, I'm, I'm saying that there are tens of millions of people who can live their entire life with maybe to mild to moderate. And like the like British philosophers, you know, just just live a life of quiet desperation, right? So so things are not good, but they never get so bad that it explodes, and you know, their son comes over and puts them in a car and drives them off to rehab because you know dad's fifty four and it's about time that he. It might not get to that point, um. But like what I've been seeing recently, and again, it's only because my thumb is on the pulse here, so I, like, I wouldn't expect that most people are, are seeing this, right? But uh, there's a whole lot of people who otherwise would have been keeping quiet about it, right? So like all of human history where they would not have said a word about alcohol. <laughs> now they're coming out and saying, um, women in particular. Wow. Women in particular. Um, just saying, hey, look, yeah, I actually drink more than I want to. And I, yeah. and I keep trying to stop and I can't. Wow. And I have three kids and I, you know, like my husband works all day and I work all day and it's just too much. Um, and yeah, so, so those people deserve something too. So, so uh, is that, are, are you trying to capture some of those people too? And in, in your philosophy and your program, because that does seem like a, an interesting gap there because they're not, they're not going to even fall in if they haven't crossed the line. If there is an imaginary line, you know, yes. where, where abstinence to me is the answer. Um, where do you put, where do those people find solutions? So uh, a lot of them, in my experience, do tend towards abstinence over time. Um, a lot of times folks like that. So that use case, you know, cause so the, what I work with, like with the reaction recovery, yeah, there's, there's probably about four very specific use cases. And I, and I probably defined about two of them. Uh, I could talk about the other two in a second too. Um, but with those, with those folks, they often need to stumble upon abstinence the hard way, I guess you could say. Right. So, so, so kind of pitching a message of you can't drink at all it's hard. It's hard for them, right? Because that's not what they quote unquote came here for. <laughs> okay. They're drinking a bottle of wine and they want to drink a glass of wine or, you know, maybe it's a case of beer over the week and they want to have a six pack. I don't know. Right. It's kind of, there is always that fantasy because, because like you need to think about like addiction as a spectrum, just like anything else. So, so even though they might be lower on, on the consequences end, because that's what like, separates mild, moderate, and severe. It is, is really what types of consequences 
are going on like in your life? Like, like, is this drastically impairing your relationships, drastically impairing your work, your physical health? And are you persisting despite all this stuff? That's what starts to push you into that severe range. But if it is something that's, that's more mild to moderate, uh, they, they have the same obsession, the same obsession that somehow someday I will control and enjoy my drinking, right? You know, that same exact thing is there. It's just that the consequences of not doing it aren't quite as explosive, <laughs> right? So you might not get that, you know, you might not fight the police officer and get thrown into jail that night, like, like somebody else would, um, but something else could happen over time. So, so, so with those folks, I have found that, that they gradually tend towards, towards full abstinence. It might, it just might take a little while. Hmm. So, so do you, where, where do you try and how do, how do they try and find their, their balance then, you know, is it still sort of following your 12 things? Will that help for those people too then? So for me, so I don't, that particular person that I just described, I don't really work with that use case too often. Yeah. Too often. Um, the reason that you know that I even went there is because I was talking about the online communities. That was kind of that, oh, right, that little right. segue. Um, so like a lot of people can scoff at those communities and say, This you know, this is ridiculous, that's not gonna work. This is you know, you gotta do and then they I guess that was my long answer to the question of like, do those things work? And it's like, well, you know, I I think for somebody with a severe use disorder you know, simply plug it into some new online community. I mean, there's certainly no like, literature to support it <laughs> or you know, very little anecdotal, if any anecdotal. So, so I would never support anything like until I start seeing it with my eyes or reading it in, in clinically vetted journals. Short of those two things happening, I'm, I'm going to be skeptical. Um, but I can say that there's a lot of people who that can be their entryway to something. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, I start getting on here, and that is a way that I can feel not alone. Yeah. Um, because I'm telling you, like a lot of these people will not, they're not gonna walk into it to your AA room down the street no. No. and hear about, you know, Mary who's who's who has cirrhosis of the liver and who's still drinking anyway, and she's and she's yellow, and like they can't relate to that, right? Because no. they feel that that is way too extreme um for my little problem of just a couple of glasses of wine at night that I would rather not be drinking. And that's your number one rule too. So, I mean, it makes sense. What's that community? Yeah. Community's number yeah. one. Um, yeah. Everybody, because it's like, if you don't have that, if you don't have community and connection, you know, is, is really the, if you don't have that, everything else that you're just going to be, you know, swimming upstream. Yeah. Right. So, so, so number one thing, first thing has to be connect this person to something. Now, now there are folks, you know, somebody that I'm working with right now, he's, um, Awesome guy, man. I work with just just some of the world's greatest people. And this guy, he he was he was using seven grams of cocaine every day. Seven grams of cocaine. Yeah, I, I mean, I just dabbled in. You're more of the cocaine guy, but I couldn't even like wrap my head around that. I'm like, that is. First of all, it's like a hundred dollars a gram. I think I, I'm not I'm not as up with all the prices, but I think when I was using it, it was a hundred for three and a half. I think. The, so that's 200, for an 200 bucks a day back in 15 years ago, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. all right. So hundred bucks a gram is probably not, not too far off the mark. Uh, either way, it's a crap load of money to spend every single day on this stuff. And he's, you know, just doing all kinds of things, to get the money. And, and he's been doing that for a while. Uh, and this guy, and I've been working with him for a little bit. Because I worked with a lot of folks before they actually fully stop, by the way. 
right. So, so, so the one of these, I was talking about these like use cases. Um, uh, one of them is people that are severely addicted that are not yet ready to check themselves into a rehab. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's like, yeah. there's a whole lot of people just because somebody is medically indicated and qualifies for a certain level of care, like a certain, like acuity level doesn't mean that they're going to accept it if it's not forced. Plus, plus rehab. I mean, that's a whole change. I mean, you got to go, you got to go somewhere. You got to turn your life off for 28 days, basically. Oh, it's a big deal. I mean, I barely know anybody who, who, who just goes there completely voluntarily. It's almost like I was court ordered in, you know, it's almost always because you're getting forced in there somehow. And the wife says, if you don't go into rehab, I'm leaving you. Your mom says, if you don't go into rehab, you're getting kicked out of the house. You, your job says, if you don't go away right now, you're getting fired. You know, it's like something, something big time is happening. Um, but there are all kinds of people who, by all measures, you know, they fit the diagnostic criteria for severe substance use disorder. And they are severe and they're and they're and they need inpatient treatment, but they don't want to do it. And then the question is, well, do we just subscribe to to the thought uh, of, you know, he just has to hit bottom and, you know, that when he's ready, he'll go. And it's I guess my point is that I think we can offer something before that has to happen. Right? Yeah, that's a good point. He's ready. Probably a pretty good niche or a gap there that could be filled there is a gap and so that what does was... that what does that look like for somebody because i mean i tried to quit over and over in my head i was like okay i'm not going to use tomorrow and then before the night was even done i already had my stash for tomorrow you know i'd already stopped quitting that night i mean i'm working with a guy right now who is taking dilaudid okay the eight milligram dilaudid which is which is very similar to the 80 milligram oxycodone if you're doing that uh, opioid yeah. equivalence con, you know, conversion. And he's taking 35 of those per day, right? which is an astronomical amount of opiates, 35, 8 milligram of uh, dilaudid. And, and I've been working with him for a month now and he really hasn't changed his dose at all. Okay. You know, so, I mean, I, I worked a whole lot of miracle stories and success stories. And then there's a whole lot of these. Now these can often convert into like the miracle stories on the other end. Okay. I guess like the point is, so that is the, is the counseling part of the program where it's like, the question is, is, does this person deserve anything? Does he deserve counseling? Does he deserve any kind of level of care just because he isn't, he is ready to stop. He wants to stop, but he just can't. And he refuses inpatient treatment and everybody tells him medical detox is indicated. You need a medical detox. That's the only way you're going to do it. You cannot possibly cold turkey off that it's i mean it's just opiate so you know so it's not there's not really the like seizure risk there if somebody was just fully chem, um chemically dependent on alcohol or benzos and i don't take that person on by the way um but when it's when it's like this you could say that that is impossible for him to do it on an outpatient level um and i would say fine but but does this person still deserve anything right somebody that they can talk to who is not who does not have an agenda right it's like, I'm not there every, every time. Now I meet with folks virtually once a week. So we talk just like this, but then I'm like, the, the, we message and we set up these like goal sharing apps every single day. So I'm talking to people constantly, right? So I'm constantly with these folks. Um, and I'm not here saying to him, Hey, look, you know, you, 
You got to quit opiates today. It's like, he doesn't need me to say that. No, right? exactly. Exactly. He knows he, he doesn't need you to push abstinence right away on him. Yeah. He knows yeah. that. Like that's why he's, re that's why he reached out to me in the first place. If he didn't want to quit this stuff, he wouldn't be sitting there talking to a guy who he knows has quit that stuff. Right. It's like, there's nothing more uncomfortable than being opiate dependent and then talking to somebody who, who used to be, but has broken free somehow. <laughs> just, <laughs> like, that sucks to talk to that guy. Um, so he, he obviously wants to get better, I guess is my point. Um, you know, so can you do any kind of work? And, and, and my, my proposition is that you can, is that you absolutely can. Right. And, and, and then, the, and, and the other part of that is that people who are actively using drugs feel that they have to hide everything because everybody hates them if they're using drugs, Yeah, you know, and it's, and I try to make it just that, Hey, look, you know, this is completely safe. I tell people this, I, I don't have your, I don't have your mom's phone number. I don't have your boyfriend's phone number. I don't have your parole officer's phone number. I'm not, like, I'm not calling anybody. I'm not texting them. Like, I'm not giving them updates about what you're, you know, you know, I mean, I'm legally obligated. If you tell me that, that you're about to hurt yourself or somebody else, of course there's, there's, you know, there's kind of those provisions, but anything yeah. short of that, right. It is, I am literally just here with you right now. and we're just going to walk through this because this is your life. Like you are an alive person who deserves whatever you want right now. Like whatever you are aspiring towards, you deserve to pursue that um, regardless of what you're putting in your body. Right. I'm just like, I mean, if I, if I thought, I don't know. I mean, if I, if I was against caffeine and I, and I said, you know, caffeine's not really sober, uh, that's a psychoactive drug. So I don't want to talk to you if you're if you're still consuming caffeine. It's like just like that. I'm not going to have that response to anything else that you know, yeah, come yeah. to me with. Well, I would have liked to talk to somebody before when I before I got before I hit my bottom. You know, I was I didn't have anybody to talk to. Yeah, because everybody I mean, I was basically saying you got to yeah. either quit or hide it. Yeah, exactly. So maybe let's run through your 12, if you don't mind, you want to run through your 12 rules, what they are? Or? Yeah, 12 pillars. Yeah, so I'm, I'm in the process of, of uh, updating the website. The website's a little bit old, and, and I'm pretty much it's pretty done comprehensive, it. though. There's lots of good information on there. Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, oh, this new one's even, it's even better. Uh, yeah, so number one's community. Okay, community, the connection, that's, you know, if you don't have that down, um, you know, you're in trouble. Um, so these are, these are all the pillars that I talk with folks about. All right. So everybody, um, whether you're still in active addiction, whether you're, you're in early recovery, whether you've been in this thing for a while, but you're just not feeling good, you know, maybe you've been in your 12 step group, you're doing that for a while and, and, and you're, you're stabilized in terms of your sobriety, but you're just not feeling well. Well, there are other things that are probably getting missed, right? So we, so like with you, we might talk about some of the other ones, you know, with, with somebody like the guy that I was just talking about, of course, we're at the very beginning, right? Like, I'm not going to be talking about, you know, about shoring up like, your nutrition necessarily. If, you know, if you're taking seven grams of cocaine, it's like, you can't, you can't just smoothie your way out of that one. <laughs> right. But it's, it's kind of stuff like that. It sort of depends upon where somebody is in the, uh, on the spectrum. So uh, community, uh, we talk about sleep hygiene. Uh, we talk about morning routines. Nutrition and supplementation. Okay, supplementation is huge, uh, you know, for folks who are just ending an addiction. Uh, we talk about pursuing purpose. 
fitness or some kind of uh, the intentional movement. We talk about reading and content consumption. All right. So, so, so what are you populating? You know, this, I've got the, my, my list of books here. You know, I'm always talking about in the realm of hungry ghosts, Gabor Mate. If somebody says, just give me one book to overview addiction. I say that one. Uh, although I have dozens and dozens of other ones that are, are incredible. Um, eight is focused attention. Okay. So this is, um, who you're talking to, the, who you're spending your time with, what kind of, you know, the, what social media stuff is populating like your mind? What are you, where are you focusing your attention? Um, nine is going to be mindset. Uh, 10 is personal responsibility. And this is one, this is where, where like I'm talking about, about, you know, cleaning up and, 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 and straightening up your house and just doing you know, maybe getting like your office like, into shape, right? Something very local, something very close to you, starting to clean that up, you know, clean that up right now. Uh, and then we start kind of blending into that in terms of personal responsibility. Cause I really think that that ends up being one of the long-term antidotes to recovery. Yeah. Um, feeling like, you know, look, uh, the world, the world does not owe me anything. In fact, <laughs> in fact, I am, you know, me, one of 8 billion has to do one eight billionth worth of the work and i'm going to do that yeah um 11 is helping others all right there has to be some some level of, of altruism somewhere you know that, and that's built into every spiritual program f since the beginning of time um and then 12 is commitment you know commitment to so just just staying committed to this because this is the lifestyle you've chosen not because you feel like doing it on any given day. Yeah, I like that. I, I think that's that could be good for anybody, really. I mean, not just yeah. somebody in addiction. You know, those are pretty core core principles that'll help. I agree. Yeah, and this is this is, and I call them the the pillars of recovery. So you know, so not not the pillars of you know alcohol recovery or opiate recovery. Just 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 these pillars for recovery. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're right. People are recovering from all, all kinds of things. I mean, addiction is, addiction is rampant. It is everywhere. Um, you know, there's an unmanageability piece that might force people into rehabs and inpatient and, 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 and different, you know, higher levels of care. Um, that's maybe a little bit slower to develop for some of this other stuff, right? If it's like a sex addiction or, or, you know, spending or shopping or, or gambling or eating, um, those things can all be extremely destructive in their own right, but they just might take longer to bring the whole house down. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a yeah. few extra minutes? To, do you have to, what, how much time do you got? Yeah. No time. Yeah. I'm good. 10 minutes or so like yeah. 10, 15. So, I have a, I have an eight thirty call okay. and it's eight o'clock my time. Okay, so, so yeah, that's we're good. So um, I love that. I love the uh, I love the that you figured out this. I think this is great for people that yeah are just in this kind of limbo state, either after rehab or before rehab, or don't want to go to rehab. I mean, I think it's it's fantastic. Um, I did want to kind of pick your brain a little bit about harm reduction and stuff, and maybe also talk about you know like why why is <clears throat> I mean we are losing the fight for addiction. I mean, and just so people know, like, I think that the percentages of people, and I, I don't know if this is a year, if they use a measurement on a year or whatever, but can you throw some of the general stats out there for people? Like, uh, 
like people that stay sober or cleaner sober, I think it's what, 5% out of treatment, something like that, 5 or 10%. 5% is a number that I have, have seen floated for a while that, that yeah. um, over the first year, 95% it will relapse back onto the specific thing that brought them in there in the first place. That's, yeah. that's a pretty commonly quoted stats are hard in this industry though. Cause um, okay. not just cause it's hard to collect the data. You know, a lot of people think that, right. They say, Oh, um, you can't study, you know, 12 subgroups or different places cause they're anonymous. It's like, that's not true. They do. They have Cochrane reviews. They do study these. Um, the reason it's hard is because we don't have any uh, medical consensus, clinical consensus um, in terms of the definitions of these of 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 success right so everybody has their own slight definition of success because it's like even we can't even, even stay alive variety means yeah right so like so what are you going to say like 95 like 95 percent success rate what does that mean 95 percent sobriety how are you defining sobriety yeah are you like what specific compounds are you putting in there are you talking about like prescription medication is there a certain level so that's it just gets so strange um, to define and it's getting even harder these days, right? Like there was a time, I mean, just even talking about harm reduction, there was a time 20 to 30 years ago when everybody pretty much agreed on the word sober, right? Like if you were in, especially in a 12 step group, but anywhere else, if you talked about, I am a person in sobriety, you know, I, I, I'm living the sober everybody kind of has an idea of what of what that is not today no not today well that'll be re i mean that'll probably be redefined once uh mushrooms and uh you know all the different forms of treatment you know whether it's ibogaine or, or mushrooms or uh, mdma or whatever i mean there'll probably be i i would say there's probably going to be like different levels of it. It's like, I'm sober from hard drugs and alcohol, you know, but I'll do psychedelics. Like, I, I mean, for me, <clears throat> I haven't touched anything except for caffeine. Um, but I'm open to, I'm open to psychedelics. Like maybe I'll try mushrooms one day, but I know I'm, I don't want to fucking do Coke or alcohol, but you know, if it's, if it's, uh, if it's sort of mind expanding, I kind of have that as a different category in a way. So, I mean, I think it'll probably shake out somehow in, in that regard. But what no, I agree. And all mm -hmm. that stuff. Yeah, certainly psilocybin. And, and, and because we're talking about these approaches, uh, mostly to address like repressed traumas, that's what this stuff does, right? Because the idea is that, is that uh, the whole lot of addictions are, are, are rooted in trauma. One of the big problems with trauma is that it becomes like repressed or suppressed, right? So it's like, it's not just that we don't want to talk about something. It's that we can't talk about something is that it is not accessible to us. You know, this is, this is Carl Jung's like unconscious that he talks about. And he says that if that is not, if that is not unified at some point, or at least brought to the surface, then it's going to get expressed as the shadow and it's going to come out in all kinds of weird and wonky ways. And that is going to direct your entire life. So then he's kind of saying everybody sort of has that to some extent, but folks that have experienced like severe traumas, uh, which a lot of people in addiction, if not all, ha have have had some type of trauma past. If there is something that allows you to access that, then should we lean on this tool? And and of course, posed like that, the answer would be yes, right? So it's like um, the the thing. So all this stuff, it's going to come down to like. To thine own self be true. 
right? Because if you're talking about psychedelics, so, you know, whether it's, let's just talk about psilocybin because it's a little bit easier. Uh, if you're talking about psilocybin, um, the, the impact and the effectiveness of that will entirely depend upon set and setting, right? So it's, what are you doing it? Um, uh, what are you doing? Who are you doing it with? Who is holding like your space right there? Uh, who is the facilitator? Like the facilitator is going to matter more than anything else. Um, now, if you just hear, oh yeah, so you know, psilocybin is going to cure my depression if I microdose it, or cure my trauma if I take you know blank number of, and you and your three friends go into your basement to do it, that don't count. <laughs> that doesn't count. That is not you. That is that is you getting high and you trying to have just some kind of trippy experience, right? But it's like, if you if you try to use this stuff like it's a tool, like it's a, a spiritual and or clinical or psychiatric tool, well, then that's a whole different, you know, whole different situation. And, yeah. and yeah, I completely yeah. understand that. Yeah, I agree with you. So what about harm reduction then? I mean, I, I heard you talk about how your, your views changed on it a little bit. And of course, the, the term is also, I think, now all-encompassing. You know, they just throw everything in harm reduction, you know, now it's harm reduction of the community, of the person, of the, the family of, uh, you know, every, everything gets thrown in there. So to me, it becomes pretty hard to tease apart, like, you know, what's, what's, you know, what are you, what harm are you reducing? I mean, I, I got something out of your website here and it, and it kind of made me think like addiction causes damage to the brain and leads to physical changes that can be verified. Right. So you can verify the damage that addiction is doing to the person, mm. but yet we seem to, and you can correct me here, but we seem to just want to just be able to, like, especially in places like in, in these cities now in Canada and probably down the coast, the, the coast of America too. Like we're just going to let them go on and on and on until they end up dead basically. So it, it just feels like they're just taking away bottoms, but not really there's, there doesn't seem to be a goal of abstinence or a goal of recovery. It's like, well, Hey, you, we don't want to harm you. We don't want to, you know, trample on your rights as an addict. So we'll just let you keep using and you can use for clean drugs for, for, I don't know if they cost anything, whatever for free or whatever it is, but there's just no like goal to get clean. Yeah. nuts no, changed a lot. You're right. Um, and I do work for, you know, for larger, um, uh, the agencies also, right. So I see this, I completely see this from the payer's perspective also. So of course I have like my own personal perspective and I've said from the, the I always make it a point to say right out from the outset, like I am a full abstinence guy for me. Right. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, yeah. I am not, I am not confused. <laughs> I am not uncertain. I am not ambiguous about what my stance is. So for me, I have a definition of sobriety and that definition of sobriety has not changed. It has not changed. I know what that word means to me and I am going to keep that. Uh, now from a payer perspective, all right. So if we're, well, who's, just, who's a payer for, cause we're in Canada. So, okay. So, like, so, so, uh, so like, a like Edna or like United healthcare or, or, okay. or all these, these major payers, even like the, you know, the government, if we're talking about like Medicaid and Medicare, and yeah. if you're, if you're going to be cycling people through these facilities every couple of months or something, and you're hitting them at 30, $50,000, you know, you know, us dollars, like a pop. I don't want to do that. If I'm a payer, <laughs> I don't want to have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for this person to just go for their 19th stint <laughs> in rehab. <laughs> you know, that's, that is not a good use of my dollars. So 
what they're looking at is they're actually now putting numbers so they will not contract with a certain agency if you're not releasing folks from your facility at a certain percentage um, uh, on a certain percentage of like MAT, you know, medication assisted treatment or, or, or medications for addiction treatment. Like it's kind of getting like rebranded that acronym. So if, for example, your facility is discharging 25% of folks on some kind of MAT. Now, like we think of that in terms of like buprenorphine, so suboxone, supplicate, but, but also Vivitrol counts and all the like naltrexone based products, they count, um, you know, Camprol counts. And, and um, if you're at 25% and the industry, the industry standard is 40% or, or they want 40%, they will not contract with you until you prove that you get that number up. Okay. Because from their eyes who, who, and I'm not, I'm not even saying this in terms of like, this is, this is a corrupt system. I'm not saying that I'm saying like, I understand it. This right? is the it's way like, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I was paying that, I wouldn't want to keep doing $50,000 every three months. So if I have you under my care for a couple of years, then me as a payer, I am more interested in how, what is your health going to look like for those couple of years, right? If you're 27 years old, I care about you from 27 to maybe 29 or to 30. I don't care about you when you're 80 or 50 years from, you know, the next 50 years of your life, how you're going to fare. That is not my concern. So what has the best and the highest likelihood of keeping you from relapsing back on the heroin if you came in, if it's heroin or fentanyl, what has the best likelihood to keep you from relapsing onto that drug and to keep you from fatally overdosing? Well, that is going to be clearly be some type of opioid replacement therapy, right? So, so like buprenorphine, for example, suboxone, that, that will absolutely be the answer. So the insurance plans will absolutely support that because if you're just, just talking by the numbers for a short period of time, because the short-term data, now I just said three years, it's actually six to 12 months that they look at it. So from six to 12 months, the likelihood that you will, re, you will not relapse is much higher if you're on one of these drugs yeah. than, if you just, than if you just go cold turkey out into the community. Um, so that's, that's why they do it. And, and that's why they pursue those paths. Um, and then there's people like maybe me or, you know, like lots of other folks who are out there who, who say, Hey, look, you know, I mean, I was on huge amounts of this stuff and they wanted me to be on it too. And I'm not, and I didn't. And, you know, I'm like recovering to good purpose. And I, I would kind of prefer this particular lifestyle. And I think at least maybe you should give it a chance. So I guess in terms of like, now like harm reduction, of, of course, is an umbrella term and there's all types of things that fall under there. And I am supportive of nearly all of them, nearly all of them. Um, but in terms of, of opioid replacement MAT strategies, so like buprenorphine based products, I would always prefer somebody at least gives abstinence a, like a chance, maybe multiple chances. Okay. You know, to really, really give that a shot. Um, but I'm thankful that we have these options out there because, uh, yeah, I mean, these, you know, these, these things save a lot of people and, and, and folks who have tried and they just can't do it for whatever reason. And, and this is, uh, uh, sometimes they might stay on that for an extended period of time. Sometimes it might just give them a little bit of a break. Right. And, and okay, now you don't have to buy your drugs in the street anymore. You don't have to inject with, 
toilet water from McDonald's, you know, for the bag of block tar heroin they just bought around the corner. Uh, there, there are a lot of advantages of, of, you know, taking a prescription medication than, than living that lifestyle. So, yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. So do you think, uh, I mean, when, when we look at alcohol and how that's where that's come over the last hundred years, you know, and how alcoholism, I wonder if you were to tease away alcoholism, if that was any better with it being legal and accepted and all that. And now we're on the verge of, you know, weed getting approved, getting, you know, legalized almost everywhere. Mushrooms are close around the corner. Vancouver's already got uh, given approval to two places to make their own cocaine in the back and sell it. Oh, I didn't hear that. Vancouver's so, always cutting edge, though. Yeah, that's oh, where I, uh, oh, yeah, that's where I got sober. From. I mean, <laughs> Oh, Vancouver? Yeah. Was it the, the uh, downtown east side or no? No, no. Okay. I didn't make it there yet. No, and that's what he talked about. Well, we have Kensington in Philadelphia is, is very similar. It's um, the only other area that I know that is truly comparable to Kensington is the downtown east side of Vancouver. Yeah. So, um, you know, with with all this legalization, like, do you think it's just going to, you know, uh, like I, I used to think, and I probably still do, that, you know, it was the, the drug war wasn't working as it is and we're losing the battle against it anyway. So we might as well legalize it and try and, you know, try some other other things to help people. But then I think about alcohol and I think, well, it's really, really hasn't worked for that either. You know? Yeah. I don't think it's going to, I mean, certainly decriminalization. I've been, I've been a, a proponent of decriminalization for a long time. I mean, the, the, you know, that is absurd just because somebody, you know, I mean, this was my thing too. I got arrested for, you know, for just, I mean, it's a long story, <laughs> but basically taking drugs and using them myself. Right. So, so like, there's always been a part of my mind that thinks like, I just wanted to use drugs. And if they were legal and if they were available at Seven Eleven, I would have walked in there, you know, and, and bought them instead, but you guys forced me to steal them. So, <laughs> um, but so decriminalization, I think ruining somebody's life because you pull them over and they have a gram of cocaine on them and now they have a felony on their record and can't get a job. And yeah, that is horrible. Um, in terms of legalization, I mean, I don't think it's going to do very much right now. Now I actually have a lot of thoughts about cannabis. We don't have time to get into them. Um, I think cannabis is, is, is not nearly as innocuous as everybody loves to make it out to be. Right. I think, I think cannabis is going to become a huge problem. I work with a lot of people where cannabis is already a huge problem. Um, I work with a lot of folks in Canada and for some reason, well, not for some reason, Canada was, was ahead of the, um, a lot of folks in Canada have just been doing this. Like it's like, they're just drinking caffeine, you know, and, and it's not caffeine. It is not, uh, there, there, there are things that are happening here. And, uh, you know, this is, this is not your father's weed. You know, this, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not the, the stuff is, is, you know, the Anna Lemke, she's, she's an incredible, uh, the addiction researcher, you know, she talks about cannabis and she says, and she says that what's going on now. And, and again, this kind of started with Canada and then, you know, trickle down into, into the States and is really sweeping, sweeping the U S too. Um, you know, for something to be an addiction crisis that you need four things you need, you need unlimited quantity, unobstructed access increasing potency and endless novelty 
And that those are the are the four things that you have right now with this with this cannabis wave because because it's just getting better and better and newer and more potent and you have it in this form and it tastes like this and it looks like this and it's just so exciting, right? And and, and people are having all types of problems. But um, yeah, like, do I think legalization is going to have any positive impact on the addiction crisis? No, absolutely not. Do I think it's going to negatively impact it? Yeah, probably not really either. You know, I think that <laughs> like, I think like addiction is just going to do what it's going to do, regardless of whether things are legal or not. Um, but I love decriminalization. I think I think you know putting somebody in jail or ruining their life because they choose drugs is terrible. Right on. Well, this has been fun, man. We we should do it again. We'll talk about weed. Get into some other stuff. Maybe. Uh, yeah. We'll. we'll... Yeah, I think we have a lot more good good topics. Yeah, we could certainly yeah. do a part two here. Yeah, yeah, six or nine months. Yeah, tell us, uh, tell everybody where they can find your stuff, where they can get a hold of you. Uh, yes, yeah, so my website, uh, which is live and active, although we are in the process of revamping it, uh, is www.reactionrecovery.com. Um, again, I'm on social media. I, I'm most active on Instagram at, at Reaction Recovery. Um, yeah, I try to show up there in, in some respect, right. And I'm posting or some stories and topics pretty much every day. Um, I have season one of a podcast out. It's called surviving opioids. Uh, there's 22 episodes. There's some good ones out there. We talk about supplements and you know, we talk about, uh, opioid use in pregnancy. You know, I interview, I have a great interview of the woman who, who, who lost a son, uh, to, a, to, a, to a heroin overdose, Jude. Jude and John Trang, they wrote a book, Opiate Nation. Uh, that's an incredible episode. So um, all that's on the website, though. There's some pretty good stuff out there. Right on. Thanks, buddy. I'll link yeah. all, all that stuff in the show notes and, uh, yeah, we'll keep in touch. All right. Great. Well, Thanks. thank you for having me on. Yeah. Right on. Take care. Appreciate it. Take care. So many sick.
Do it.